This is Bragging Rights, a show all about college football, where the conversations are lively, the topics are trivial, and the hosts are semi-knowledgeable. And now, here are your hosts, Madison and Pierce. Welcome into another edition of Bragging Rights, the week one recap of college football. The 2021 season has kicked off. Every single major program saw action, and we are here to break down what we considered the top 10 games might hit some other nuggets as well. Uh, Before we get going, I need to introduce my co-host. I'm Madison, and I'm joined as always by my brother Pierce. Pierce, how are you? Man, I'm uh, I'm I'm well. Uh, I will admit, I uh, <clears throat> don't know if uh, most of most everybody else out there is feeling the same way, but I was a bit lethargic today, uh, coming off the highs of uh, football the last four or five days, and uh, the long weekend, the holiday weekend, and uh, I'm not gonna lie, getting up this morning and, uh, and getting back into the swing of things was uh, was pretty rough. So um, I'm hanging, I'm, I'm doing all right, uh, but um, trying to uh, trying to catch second wind for sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's something about a short week that sometimes, although nice, can feel like you're going a million miles a minute, um, which is why this podcast even kind of snuck up on us because by the time that we both got settled um, back at our respective houses, of course, if you can't tell, I have lost my voice. Um, I went to the Georgia Clemson game this past week in Charlotte, and uh, as I am apt to do in big games, I no longer have a voice. So uh, this is why this took a couple days. I called Pierce on my way back to Atlanta, and I could not speak. So we had to delay it a little bit, um, but we are still going to deliver you guys two podcasts a week. Uh, and we're super excited to break it all down. So without further ado, Pierce, let's talk about the games we previewed. Um, the first game that we talked about and predicted. Oh, before we get into that, do you know our record for this week? Um, yeah, I looked. I think uh, so you I, went 6-4. 6-3-1, I, I, uh, I believe. Uh, the UCF six, three, game, oh, that's right. had it 5. Yep. Um, I know uh, some people, like I, I had it at 6.5 uh, during, you know, got it the day of so uh that was a push so we both pushed that but um yeah i believe it was i was six three and one and i think you were five four and one or maybe yeah, four five sounds and about one right. five, I, yeah. I, we'll, we'll have to double check for sure for our season long standings but um didn't do super hot on our podcast um but we're a part of a couple other pools as well that uh, i did better in so uh you know just these particular 10 games were not my hottest action i've ever had in my entire life uh but you did pretty good so props to you all right let's start off with ucf 36 boise state 31 this of course is the game that pierce uh and i got at five so this was a push um listen it's not how Gus Malzahn would have liked to have started his career in Orlando, but a win is a win is a win. Um, the Dylan Gabriel uh, train continues to roll on, although it was shaky at first. The first drive, in fact, ended in a 100-yard pick six, which is not ideal. Um, Boise State was up 21 to nothing um, before finally the Knights started getting in a groove with the run game. Isaiah Bowser, uh, you know, kind of had a he had a pretty good game for the for the Knights um and he kind of shouldered that uh once he kind of started getting going Dylan Gabriel found a groove as well and then uh Boise State also had some sputtering they went scoreless in the third and it felt like it'd be all Knights uh Dylan Gabriel though did 
throw another interception, and you thought, oh my gosh, the Broncos are going to win. But Isaiah Bowser once again punches it in to give the Gus Buzz his first win as uh, head coach there with the Knights. Pierce, what did you like from this one? What did you not like? Um, you know, this was a game that I don't know if a lot of people caught the whole thing of. If it was, I think, on a Thursday night, um, and it's not if. Um, sorry, I was about to say it's not FBS. It's not uh, Power Five. But uh, these two teams are typically pretty entertaining, and I thought that it was uh, at least really good um, from an entertaining perspective if it wasn't the greatest football of all time. Yeah, so I was I was flipping back and forth between a couple other games and this one. Remember, uh, you know, another thing about both these teams' performances, they had a, a, a two-hour or so delay, weather delay um, down in Orlando. They were getting – absolutely drenched down there. So that definitely plays a factor. All of them, all the players were suited up and, and, you know, I, I went out for warm ups and then, you know, had to, uh, had to come back in and, and sit around for two hours. Tech guy, I'm sure most of y'all saw that, uh, but Bachmeyer, the quarterback for Boise State actually jumped in a, a WebEx for, uh, you know, for a class, um, during that, that two hour wait time. So huh. kind of interesting to, to see that, uh, you know, yeah, UCF, the story was UCF shooting themselves in the foot. Uh, Boise State, you always know, is going to be well-coached and, and pretty pretty solid just top to bottom, um, specifically on defense, and, and it showed early in this game. Um, but I think the true storyline here is uh, is how well that this Gus Miles on offense did um, operate for the most part, despite some of those you know early miscues. Um, namely, the first pick was just awful. Uh, but but you look at the stat lines. I mean, Bowser obviously you hinted on at 172 yards rushing. Uh, that's that's incredible for a Gus Miles on team. When you look and see his teams in the past, they've had a, a bell cow. They had someone who can go out there and get the tough yards and have big games. Um, and so that's always a huge huge plus for a Gus Miles on led team. Obviously, you knew Gabriel was going to come out and throw and, and do it successfully. But I think uh, the next factor was we knew he was an athlete, but he, he went out there and was very, very good uh, in the run game as well, tallying uh, 64 yards on 12 carries. Uh, that was something to, to that I was interested to see. At the end of the day, I, I really, you know, take away a couple of those interceptions thrown, specifically the first one that was a 100-yard return, pick six. And this could have been UCF by, you know, 14 or 10 to 14, easy, uh, maybe even higher. But at the end of the day, UCF does what they need to do, and, and given the circumstances, gets a well-earned and, and uh, pretty big victory for them uh, in, in their first year under the, the Gus Bus. The Gus Bus. All right, well, let's talk about some Big Ten action. Uh, big noon kickoff, Penn State 16, Wisconsin 10. Uh, felt very reminiscent of the game that I was at, except for you had some offensive touchdowns, but it was all defense. In fact, we were scoreless at the half in this contest. Uh, now, the Badgers did have a couple threats. A blocked field goal and a fumbled handoff in the red zone, though, uh, would keep them from seeing Paydirt in the first half. Um, now, this game did, was very con- contentious down to the wire, and Wisconsin did have a chance to score with 2 minutes and 27 seconds left, um, but an interception by Mertz stopped that momentum. Then after the Wisconsin defense uh, stepped up and stopped the Nittany Lions, Wisconsin was driving down, and then there was a horrific throw by Mertz again that was intercepted as time expired. Uh, Penn State comes away with the win in Camp Randall. A couple of bright spots, though. Uh, now, both of these defenses, obviously, like I said, were, were good. Um, and that's going to 
obviously help them down the road as they have the rest of the Big Ten slate. Um, I thought that Wisconsin running back, is that Chez Malusi? Am I saying that right? Um, he was terrific. And then Sean Clifford had some really gorgeous passes. He didn't have necessarily like the best game ever, but he threw some really gorgeous deep balls. And Jahan Dotson is a stud at receiver for Penn State. If you can put it up, he's going to come down with it. So, you know, some really good things if you're fan basis of those teams. But all in all, you know, if you're a fan of defense, you liked this one, but some just some classic Big Ten football. Yeah, weird game. Weird, very weird game, you know, especially when you start looking looking into the numbers. Um, the eye te- from the eye test, I, I personally thought both these offenses were pretty poor. Um, you know, Clifford really couldn't do anything. Uh, it was weird in the second half, you know, 0-0 at half. And, uh, you know, some some – both defenses. Let's let's first go ahead and say both defenses played very well. Um, you know, Wisconsin's mm-hmm. going to have a very good defense going for. Uh, they, you knew they were going to have a good defense. Um, they were flying around, and and Penn State really surprised me. Vito was that they, they just decided to sit back and say, Mertz, you're not going to be able to throw it over top of uh, our linebackers and our DBs here, and so we're going to keep everything in front of you. And while they, I mean, when you look at the stats and the numbers uh, in more detail. You know, Penn State had 12 first downs compared to Wisconsin's 29. That's just because Graham Mertz and company just had to get those three, four, five-yard chunk plays. They did run the ball successfully, but again, couldn't break a long one. And at the end of the day, you hit on it. When it came down to, to third and nine and third and ten in the second half, Penn State just dialed up Jaheen Dotson's number and said, or Jahan Dotson's number and said, you just go get open. And and Clifford was able to hit him for a couple big plays. Um, you know, both great performances on the defensive side of the ball. Quarterbacks, uh, certainly their play left uh, more to be desired, but Wisconsin has a run game now, uh, which was was absent last year, and um, I, I do think that they'll see weaker defenses than they face against Penn State. So while Mertz and company, you got to be worried about, uh, you know, the, the, the ceiling that they thought that they had um, with the five-star Mertz coming in and, you know, having a, the first big performance to start the year last year. Um, they can maybe he'd have a, a – a, he'd get better going from freshman year to, to sophomore year um, and left a lot to be desired and uh, some question marks for sure. But this Wisconsin team will be be fine moving forward uh, with their stellar D and uh, now that they can gotten back to running the ball. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay, let's flip over to one of the more marquee matchups across a conference matchup. Listen, I'm going to just say this right now. I'm done doubting Nick Saban. Alabama, even though, you know, we every year we do this, we hype it up that they might potentially have some chinks in the armor, and every year they come out more dominant looking than the year previously. They finish uh, versus Miami 44-13. to Now, that spread was a lot. A lot of people, including myself, thought maybe Miami could hang with them, but it did not happen. It was absolute dominance by the Crimson Tide. Bama was up 27-3 to at half. It had to be a last-second field goal to even get Miami on the board um, in that half. Derek King looks banged up. I mean, I don't know what else to say there. Um, and on the other side, Bryce Young, in his debut, looked phenomenal. He set records for both yards thrown and TDs thrown uh, by Alabama quarterback making his debut. Now, that's a weird stat to keep, but hey, he did it. He he looked awesome. Um, And you know what? The one thing that we've always knocked Alabama for is the fact that their college kickers aren't clutch. Well, no more. Uh, He was... 
I mean, what I don't know exactly what. I think at one point there was like a 51-yarder he made. Um, so even he's automatic now. Um, it's going to be a really tough battle to play the Tide this year. Now, there's still a chance they still have a couple of more... Um, uh, daunting matchups. There's something about them there in Mercedes-Benz here in Atlanta that they're really good at. They're really good at in su- season openers. Um, and I think that we were just giving Miami more credit than is due. But that being said, uh, you know, Alabama is as close to Thanos as possible. They are just inevitable every single year um and they just absolutely vaporize people so i hope that we get a couple of good games with them this year and it's not just a total uh you know just they they take off but i think it's going to be another classic uh nick saban alabama team um one thing that i wanted to get your thoughts on pierce is that miami still despite being blown out in this game brought out the turnover chain. That's something you got to hold off on if you're being blown out. That's that's not something you you you. I mean, even the guy who got it just kind of sat down, like, okay, I turned it over, but we're not going to win this game. And then the turnover didn't even stand. So that was, I thought that was embarrassing. Um, not a great night for Miami, and uh, not a lot of hope if you were thinking that Clemson might get uh, some competition in the ACC. And if you're an SEC team, you're starting to shake in your boots a little bit. Yeah, this uh, you know, hand up. That I was I was wrong on my prediction that Bama would uh, would just try to run the ball and not put uh, in in the first quarter and a half put Bryce Young into compromising situations and difficult downs. I thought they'd you know you know give him third and shorts and just pound the rocks. I knew they'd be able to do that, and that just wasn't the case. They let Bryce Young throw early and often, um, and and just it it, it looked. You know, more the same. Um, you know, nothing, nothing's changed, and, and nothing ever seemingly will as long as Saban is there. It, you know, it, I, I really watched this game closely, and, you know, Alabama's defense looked great. Um, their offense, you know, answered all the questions that I needed to see. My one my one area that I, I mentioned in our preview pod was, you know, this, this Miami defense last year was terrible, just downright awful, and they lost their, their, two, their two best pass rushers. Um, you know, so I, I just, I didn't know if we'd, you know, see a good enough test to, to really be able to judge Alabama. Um, you know, certainly they, they look great and they're going to be great. Um, they are great, but man, this, this is Miami defense. There was only one guy out there that looked like he was willing physically to, to stick his nose in there and, and make some big tackles. And that was the Georgia transfer, Tyreek Stevenson. Um, they just, they didn't look like they had any dudes out there. They just looked like average human beings. Um, and, and, you know, I felt bad. I, I think I mentioned it to you. I, I certainly mentioned it in the preview pod. I just hope that Derek King uh, makes it out of this game unscathed. And gosh, he did go down at one point. He got kind of rolled up on it and it tested that knee. And, um, you know, he was he limped off and had to, had, yeah, I think he was out for a play or so. Came back in, got a, got a lot of his heart. Um, certainly he'll face much easier competition and defenses uh, in the ACC moving forward. I think he'll be fine. He did look like he had lost a step uh, just from his explosiveness. Uh, but again, he's facing, uh, you know, one of the best defenses in the country. So I think it's hard to, to, to really judge him off this game. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it was just a uh, amongst boys out there and, and you kind of got that sense going in, which is why I thought they'd just be able to run the ball. But, you know, it, 
as much as I, I, I wanted to kind of revert back to the old Alabama style where they, you know, have a game manager back there, so to speak. You knew Bryce Young wasn't that game manager type, but, you know, where I thought they'd take the approach of just being able to run the ball down your throat because they can, um, they, they certainly didn't do that. So um, this team certainly has all the makings of uh, another national champion. Absolutely. And uh, Bryce Young was one of the only quarterbacks uh, who was a Heisman frontrunner to perform up to his billing. So that uh, does really good for him in any implications there. If you put money, if you put futures on Bryce Young, you're feeling pretty good about your odds right now, though it's a long season. Uh, One quarterback that did not live up to their billing, who I was very high on, I didn't put any futures on him, so don't worry. Um, but uh, he did not necessarily look great. So my take there of uh, Sam Howell potentially winning the Heisman, not off to a great start, although, like I said, long season, who knows. Um, I actually skipped over this game, Pierce. we got to go back to Friday night. Virginia Tech 17, North Carolina 10, uh, one of the first big upsets, obviously, of the weekend. Uh, and, and here's the thing is it did come down to, um, you know, North Carolina was driving. They did have a chance to potentially tie it up, um, but it would not happen. They chased Howell from the pocket, and uh, he instead threw an interception, and that sealed the fate of Mac Brown's Tar Heels Uh we kind of knew they might have a hiccup. I didn't think it would happen this early. You know, they weren't. A th- I didn't think they were ever going to win the national championship. Obviously, I picked them in this game. They're going to have to figure out who he can throw to. to his two top targets, Howell's top two targets uh, from last season, um, were uh, you know no, they they were basically invisible. Um, he was sacked, I think, six times. Uh, yeah, sacked six times. Not great. Uh, Virginia Tech, props to them. I mean, it was, Pierce, that atmosphere was electric. They were rocking in Blacksburg. And how great was that to see Inter Sandman, the whole stadium's jumping up and down. Um, you, you just loved to see it. The, the Hokies were ready for this game, and uh, they come across, or they come away, I should say, with a major upset uh, in a rivalry game. You know, it's one of those things, though, Pierce, I will say that I'm having a hard time here in week one. You know, you got to be careful of overreacting. Now, you, now, college football every game matters. This stinks for the Tar Heels, and, uh, you know, who knows what this will mean when we're looking back. We'll do a retrospective, you know, on their season. But that being say, said, when you open up your season with, uh, you know, a rival, in, especially in your conference, you know, we saw it with Georgia and Clemson. Now they're on the same conference, but the point is you could open with a UTEP or a Bowling Green uh, and, you know, roll to a victory, but instead you open up with a with a huge matchup and, you know, you're not able to get the kinks figured out. And so I think that the Tar Heels will be okay over time, um, but this was certainly a choke job by them. Good on the Hokies. Uh, I don't necessarily think that you should be uh, should be high on the Hokies either. The overreactions are flowing from this one. That being said, 17-10 to 10 is your final. And uh, like I said, my Sam Howell projection not looking great. Yeah, you know, you hit on two really good points there, um, and, and and the first one being the crowd. It, you know, it was hard to, 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 to really feel it in the moment, um, but golly, that, that inner Sandman you knew it would be electric, that was a sign of things to come for the weekend. It was um, – not only was it electric, but it was – this entire weekend, the, the, my biggest takeaway was were the crowds and and the sense of yeah we've had crowds you know full capacities at you know some NBA playoff 
games and, you know, NHL and that sort of thing. But it was different in college football, I guess, maybe because, you know, you and I, uh, this this is our favorite thing in the world to watch and, and care about. Um, but, man, I, I mean, it just was great to have the fans back, all those great traditions, you know, the jump around, um, you know, gosh, even in Michigan singing Mr. Brightside, you could just tell it was awesome for the first time in a long time. I felt like, boy, we're in the moment. We're not worried about, you know, other things, you know, the pandemic and, and, you know, all the craziness that's been going on. So, um, and, and this was a sign of things to come. And so that way it was really awesome to see. And hey, it played a major factor in this one. Um, And that's something to keep in mind going forward, uh, specifically on the offensive side of things. When you are on the road, even if you're good, you're going to have trouble getting the calls in, getting the snap counts right, um, because these crowds are going to make a difference. So watch for the uh, the defenses to make a comeback this year for sure. Um, But back to the game. You know, listen, I don't want to put it all on Sam Howell's shoulders. I I was texting you saying, man, he looks awful. Um, just down, you know, doesn't have his, his, you know, anybody to throw the ball up to on 50-50 balls. Um, you know, he's really having to try to manufacture, dump it down, scramble out of the pocket, make something out of nothing. You know, didn't really get much um, out of his backfield. Obviously lost two studs last year um, in the backfield. And uh, their offensive line really struggled. But I will say, you hit on it. You got to be careful after week one not to have any overreactions. It's easy to do. I don't think this this Sam Howell led North Carolina team you could write off in the ACC. Um, I you know I think this was uh, you know Virginia Tech just came out here and played well. You know uh, Burmeester, the quarterback from uh, from Virginia Tech, I believe he transferred from Oregon, really played well. Um, you know, did everything he needed to do to get this team a win. You know, didn't have to throw the ball a ton but did it with his legs and and his playmaking um, and was efficient. And um, at the end of the day, it was the defense for Virginia Tech, being able to get pressure on Sam Howell early and often, um, and then really playing well in the back end uh, 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 defensively. Um, But very fun game. Golly, was it great. Blackburg's a very underrated um, environment for college football atmospheres. And you know what's funny? For some reason, it's almost the wildest, craziest environments that, that occur in Blacksburg for Virginia Tech games are on Friday nights. And they, they under, you know, under, um, uh, Bielema, or not Bielema, um, I'm going blank on his name. Um, Beamer, Beamer. the Beamer ball era. They, they, they kind of made playing on Fridays kind of somewhat cool for some of these young, you know, uh, maybe off the beaten path teams to kind of get that shine and get on primetime TV. Um, so it it was nice at first. For the first time, it felt like the world was uh, all was right in the world again. So, um, you know, something to watch. I think UNC will be good moving forward. Uh, but, God, kudos to uh, Virginia Tech and Fuente to maybe get the monkey off his back for a big win. Absolutely. All right. Iowa, 34, Indiana, 6. Gone is the Cinderella story for the Hoosiers of 2020. Iowa cut through the Indiana defense like a knife through butter uh, on their first drive. And then they followed up with a pick six. That just absolutely put the Hoosiers back on their heels, and uh, I went immediately, oh crap, my bet is screwed. Uh, A couple of field goals were the only points for the Hoosiers, and Michael Penix and company are in for a long year, I predict, uh, which is, you know, one of those things where you look back and you go, well, the 2020 season, does it have an asterisk, does it not? What was going to hold true from the 2020 season to 2021 Indiana looking like they might have not uh, been been holding true. Maybe LSU is. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, 
Now, this Iowa defense is legit. I saw a legit defense in person. The Iowa defense looks legit as well. They have not allowed more than 24 points by an opponent now in 23 games, and they look legit again this year. So I'm looking forward to this week uh, in our preview podcast looking at Iowa, Iowa State. That'll be a fun one. Um, and the Hawkeyes, they could potentially have one of those years that you go, you know, they're kind of like an Auburn Pierce where it's like they have a few down years and then they'll have a year that you're like, whoa, okay, they did pretty good. Um, so I'm, I'm feeling one of those pretty good years for the Hawkeyes. What about you? Yeah, you know, and, and to add to, the, to your statement on Iowa, um, you know, they, they're not sexy. They never do it in a sexy way. So, you know, even. Even when they're, you know, what a lot of us would consider down where they might only win seven or eight games, it's just you think of them as maybe only winning four games that season because they just don't do it in a pretty way or a fashionable way. But, yeah, you know, this was – I think this was maybe the, uh, the, the, the number one game on our slate this past weekend that you and I differed on. Um, you know, listen, it, it just felt too good to be true for Indiana. I don't think that's an indictment on Tom Allen, um, the, the head coach for Indiana. You know, it's just it's it's tough at a program like that to do it over and over again and be that darling, especially when the target is now on your back. Um, Penix just, yeah, I mean that was the biggest difference. Was Penix just, I mean, had no opportunity, no, he couldn't do anything. Those two pick sixes were just absolute backbreakers. And and let me tell you, you know, Blacksburg for Virginia Tech is a well-known, tough environment now for for diehards like you and me. Kinnick Stadium, uh, where Iowa State plays is very underrated. That is a very difficult place to play, um, and especially on the road week, week one, playing against fans, not having experienced that last year. Um, it was the, the perfect storm for the Iowa Hawkeyes, and, uh, you know, very workmanlike. You, you look at their stats, didn't put up crazy stats, but they didn't need to. They knew that they could play defense, and uh, once they got up, they were not going to relinquish that. Um, so don't think, uh, don't think, again, Indiana – not sure how good they're going to be this year, but I certainly don't think you're looking at like a three or four win team uh, in the Hoosiers. I just think it's more of a, a you know, Iowa just, just I think is going to be pretty good and has a chance uh, uh, to, you know, finish second or third in the Big Ten. Yeah, um, absolutely. I think that, to your point, Iowa Stadium is a tough place to play. We don't give it enough credit. Um, but, but both of those Iowa schools, though, are they just they just are mm-hmm. tough they're gauntlets and you know i think that probably has something to do with you play in a state without any without well does Iowa no Iowa has no pro teams so you know that is their pro team um and you know the crowds get hype and and the, it just means more to borrow a phrase from all, us here there are the also two teams that for whatever reason seem to have that slow turf yep. the, the, the tall thick grass that kind of brings some maybe some some athletes maybe Slows them down a little bit, and it's uh, yeah, it's a very interesting place to play. Louisiana Lafayette, eighteen, Texas thirty-eight. Here's my way to uh, early overreaction. Texas is back. Now I'm kidding about that. We'll <laughs> see. No, but here's the thing: nothing to scoff at. Louisiana Lafayette, some good competition. The Ragin' Cajuns are going to have themselves a good year. It just so happens that they ran into a, a really prepared Texas team. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian is an offensive genius. He's a mastermind, and he's got Hudson Card ready to go. Uh, he threw some really pretty passes, and he had a long time to deliver those passes. The offensive line held up pretty well. Um, Bijan Robinson, I don't have an update on his injury. He did. Leave 
leave the game uh, with kind of a hyperextended leg. I hope he's not too injured because he's a stud and he's going to be a problem for those Big 12 defenses. Um, now, I was kidding about the Texas is back thing. We'll see. You know, it's a long season. It, you know, you have eight months to prepare for a, an opponent. Anything can happen in game two, three, four, five down the road. Um, but they do look like they have new life. And I think credit to where credit is due because Louisiana is uh, is talented. They're a talented team. Like I said, they're going to have a good year. Um, I, I think that if you are the Oklahoma Sooners, though, you go, oh, crap, that Red River rivalry is looming. You know, Oklahoma obviously struggled with Tulane, and Tulane almost upset them at home uh, in Norman. And so that, that potentially we could have a new victor coming out of the Big 12 this year. Like I said, though, it's a long season. Anything could happen. But if you are a Longhorn fan, you are riding high, uh, and you're 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 feeling pretty, pretty good about life there in Austin. Uh, I know you're a big, big 12 12 guy Pierce. So what were your thoughts on this one? You know, um, definitely a big win for Texas, big win for Texas. You know, interesting. I hinted on this in the preview all off season, you know, you have all this time to mull over week one's games and this and that and the other and digest information. And golly, I, I started to backtrack on some of my beliefs on some of these potential upset games. And this might've been at the top of my list. On ULL, Louisiana Lafayette, all off season, and you started to just feel like, oh my gosh, everyone seems to like this as their, uh, you know, their their sleeper upset of the week, and it got gave me a weird feeling. But I think what was most impressive was um, Texas was able to do a great job at the line of scrimmage. Listen, that's always the key, especially for Texas. The last ten years or so. They have gotten dominated on the line of scrimmage. And it's not just dominated by the good teams. They're dominated by the teams that a lot of people think they should beat as well. Um, and so that's the, that's the key area. They also look pretty dang good on defense. That's obviously a huge plus. Um, and then, yeah, you look at B. John Robinson, what he was able to do, not only on the ground, but um, receiving the ball four times for 73 yards and a touchdown. Uh, that that's incredible work there. He is the key to their to their um, the straw that stirs their drink. The key to this team and their success this season. Um, interested to see how they do moving forward. Again, overreactions in the first week can kill you, and uh, this will be one that will be interesting to watch moving forward. Uh, but gotta you know, for I think it was I, I'm gonna butcher this stat, but it, I was watching it during the game. They brought it up. It was I believe this would have been this was the first coach in like five coaching regimes at Texas to win their first game wow. of their career at Texas. Um, or maybe it goes back to Mac Brown. So maybe that's what four coaches. Um, yeah. But yeah. And that, and that, that means something that means something to get off on the right foot, not immediately lose and, and have the donors breathing down your throat more than they already do. And, you know, ha- you know, create doubt right away. And, and maybe the biggest thing is, Creating that environment, creating that excitement to, to get those fans in the crowd. It's a proud program, but those sta- their, their stadium just hasn't been as electric as it should be for a proud program like Texas. So um, great, great job to get this win. Um, and obviously Sark and company, while not uh, not satisfied, uh, definitely have to be kind of grinning going. That was, uh, that was huge, huge, huge for us and recruiting and everything, all the above. Absolutely. Um, One upset that I was on was the UCLA Bruins 38, the LSU Tigers 27. Uh, Now, I saw a lot of takes that maybe LSU would get hype and rally around the Hurricane Ida stuff. I thought it'd be too much of a distraction, Um, and I don't know which uh, 
Not which is true. Obviously, it, it they lost the game. I don't know how much of a distraction it was or how much they just are not a good team. Uh, they really, really struggled to run the ball. Max Johnson had to attempt 46 passes. Um, the only shining point to me of this uh, Tigers offense was Kayshawn Boutte, 148 yards receiving and three touchdowns. He had himself a game, but when you have 46 passes through the air, you're going to rack up yards. Um, defensively, they're continuing to struggle, which is not what we're used to seeing from LSU. They're typically a very uh, stout defensive team, and you know, you're know you starting to sit there and go, how much of that was Bo Pelini versus how much of that is they're just not as good as they used to be. Um, I'm not 100% sure why Pierce. It's not like they don't recruit well. I don't know where that's really stemming from beyond, hey, you know, does it start from the top? I don't know. Or maybe these players are overrated. I'm not sure, but there's something happening there um, in LSU. Uh, and I'm worried for them in their slate here in the SEC West. Obviously, Bama looked really good. Texas A&M struggled a little bit, but they did end up covering versus Kent State. Ole Miss is going to be a problem. Uh, you know, I don't know what to think of Mississippi State because well, it's Mike Leach and anything can happen. Um, but, you know, LSU, they're going to have some tough tests this year. They always play Florida. Um, on the other side of the ball, UCLA, Zach Charbonnet, he broke 100 yards again, second game that he's done that. He's going to look like he's going to continue to roll this season. Dorian Thompson-Robinson, who was okay, he was about 50% in the first game, and he still has some room for improvement, um, but he looked at least serviceable in this one. Big props to Chip Kelly because both of these coaches were on the hot seat or very slightly simmering on the hot seat. Uh, and this is a type of win that kind of cools that down for you a little bit if you're Chip Kelly. And, uh, you know, I, I'm impressed enough to think that they could be a little bit of a force in the Pac-12 South. Meanwhile, LSU, you're starting to feel more and more heat around Ed O. And you're starting to go, hey, you know, 2009, not starting to, it's continuing the conversation of was 2019 Ed O or was that uh, Joe Burrow and some lightning in a bottle type situation. But all in all, if you're an LSU fan, I don't, I, I mean, I, I, I'm i thinking potentially four or five losses this season. I mean, it's not going to be good in Baton Rouge. Yeah, to answer your question, uh, it, it does start at the top for LSU. Listen, he caught lightning in a bottle, uh, you know, in 2019, that, that was one of the best, if not the best team and performance, uh, you know, and most dominant performance for a season that we've ever seen from a college team. But they lose their two coordinators. Dave Aranda goes to Baylor. Joe Brady jumps to uh, the, the Carolina Panthers to be their OC. And he fails last year to bring in someone who can, can coach up either side of the ball. Um, and, and it looks like he might have done that, made that mistake again. And when you are a coach who has no history of really calling plays offensively or defensively, and, and you have to have those elite coordinators, you're, you're just a sitting duck. So uh, to be quite honest with you, I'll, I'll make this prediction. I haven't looked through the season yet, but um, I think before week eight, he is let go um, at LSU. He is uh, basically a Gene Chizik like he, how Gene Chizik was mm -hmm. at Auburn for three years, was brought in um, to kind of write the ship, hopefully write the ship while they had some of the good players. Fortunately, got a got a natty out of it. Can't discredit that one bit. But boy, they um they they looked bad, and it wasn't just that they looked bad. They got beat doing or failing to do things that you know even just mid middle of the road SEC teams do well, especially against a Pac-12 team, and that is typically play some good defense. 
definitely have good players um, or some you know really skilled players, and then most importantly, win in the trenches. And they lost in every area. Um, you know their D line and O line just got beat up front. And uh, yeah, you gotta give credit to Charbonnet. How how bad do you think uh, Jim Harbaugh wants Charbonnet, yeah. who transferred from Michigan? I mean, goodness gracious, would they love to have him? Uh, but golly, he's running it well, and that's great. That's perfect for Chip Kelly. And if you think, as dynamic as Chip Kelly's offenses were in, at Oregon, the one thing that was maybe the most important was he had dynamic running backs, and he ran the ball a lot. Now, obviously, under uh, uh, you know with Mariota, he was able to do some unique things as well, but. It really was predicated off uh, off Michael James and Kenyon Barner and these these you know good running backs um, to lead the way and that way it's perfect it's setting up really well for this UCLA team because they don't have to put it on all on uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson they they can put it on you know uh, other people's backs and say you know you go do your thing and and it's just it's a more complete package right now um, and goodness gracious if they are if Dorian Thompson Robinson when it does click if it does click this season. They could be very scary. Um, but then another thing on the back end of this game, not only did LSU get beat up front um, on both sides of the ball, they had some of the worst performances, not only from an effort standpoint, but from tackling that I have ever seen. I mean, I, I, I'm not kidding. It, you know, for two two cornerbacks in Stingley and Ricks that are supposed to be, you know, the two best cornerbacks, in, or at least LSU fans have been saying two best cornerbacks in college football, you can't be the best cornerback in college football if you're not only getting beat on routes, but also you, you're just not willing to tackle and you just give up. Um, I mean, two instances where Stingley just tried to grab a, a runner uh, who was, you know, had been running for 50 yards and tried to tackle him downfield and just swiped at his shoulder when he should have just easily been able to make the tackle. It's downright pathetic. It seems like the players just don't really care to give effort, um, and that's a, that's a, that's a shame and a sad state of affairs and sad thing to see down in uh, Baton Rouge. But yeah, obviously we both picked, uh, picked UCLA and um, you know, certainly the LSU fans and we're thinking that this season was going to be, be a, a difference that from last year. And it just looks to be more the same. And um, it, it's got a long way to go from here. It looks like the players have almost quit on them on, on the coaching staff. So they got to figure out some way to get these boys to play for them and get them in the right positions um, or else they're going to have, a very, very long season, especially in the SEC West. Yeah, agreed. All right, well, an SEC team that took care of business, the Georgia Bulldogs 10, Clemson Tigers 3. If you were a fan of points, you were not a fan of this game. Uh, The defenses, both defenses, are the story, which is funny because most of the story going into this was the quarterbacks and these offenses. Um, And you knew the defenses were going to be good, but they certainly weren't going to be a central tenet of the discussion. And they were the story of the game. Um, We expected it to be tough. I I expected there to be an offensive touchdown at some point. There was not. The only touchdown in the game was a pick six uh, by the Dogs. Uh, DJ Uyunglele was sacked seven times. I don't think Trevor Lawrence was sacked that many times, at least in the, I don't remember, there was some stat I saw that was like, oh my gosh, like season average or something like that, but he was on his butt a lot. The uh, f- the trenches for, uh, the, or the front seven uh, of Georgia's defense, I should say, uh, were very good in large part due to Jordan Davis, a bit of a homecoming from him for him. He is from the Charlotte area and he absolutely lived up to the hype. Um, and you know, there was, there was some good things for both teams and some bad things for both teams. I think the overreaction is Clemson's in trouble. 
I don't think they are. I think that they're going to be more than fine, especially seeing how the rest of the SEC or SEC ACC played this uh, past week. They're going to run the table. This is going to be long, you know, old news by the time that we get to playoff conversations. And if Georgia runs the table, then it looks even better for them because they held super, you know, close to uh, Georgia. Uh, on the Georgia side of the ball, obviously the biggest thing here is, you know, people were talking about how they could probably sustain a loss and be okay. Uh, that being said, there just felt very much this air in the uh, or this, you know, this feeling in the air for Georgia fans, and we can speak on this, obviously, being Georgia fans ourselves, uh, there's just this feeling of Kirby can't win the big ones. And this is the first top, uh, you know, or this is, yeah, this is the first win against a top five ranked opponent, I think, in four years, um, if I'm getting that stat correct as well. So it just felt really good to get that monkey off your back. There just was a feeling that if Georgia lost this one, there would be the conversation of, oh my gosh, here we go, it's the curse again. So certainly it feels good for those boys to get a little bit of confidence, a little bit of swag in their steps. We're, we're expecting them to meet Alabama in the SEC championship. Anything could happen. They could easily lose to a South Carolina or a Florida, for gosh sakes, um, or an Auburn, who knows. But that being said, this is a really big win, a really good building block for Kirby. And if you're Clemson, I mean, Dabo said after the game, and I agree with him, they could have gone out. I said this with another game that we we just recapped. You know, you could have gone out and you could have played a UTEP or an Idaho State or a, you know, whoever, a Fresno State, a Tulane for gosh sakes. But you went out and you scheduled Georgia. And it's a loss, but at least you went and played the big game. And so the overreactions are flying around with this. But guess what? Clemson's going to be okay. DJ Uyunglele is going to be okay. Uh, JT Daniels is going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. But, uh, you know, just offensive suffocation by the dogs. And they come away winning this game 10-3. to Yeah, your, your point on Kirby Smart not being able to get over the, the hump in a big game was definitely the number one concern for me and definitely the best outcome uh, or result of this uh, outcome. Because, listen, you and I know and, and a lot of us have known, you know, call us biased, whatever, um, that he has done pretty well in big games. It's certainly different than Mark Richt. I mean, he, he laid eggs worse than Kirby has. Um, you know, and, and just look, you know, that LSU-SC championship game, whatever. Um, anyway, not to get not to get too off track here, but um, it, was, uh, it was a fun game. Certainly the defensive uh, slugfest made it very nerve-wracking because uh, you were just expecting the, uh, the the levy to break at any point for either side uh, defensively. Certainly, um, you know, got to make note of this. Clemson was without two starting defensive linemen. So, um, one, I think Nolan Turner had COVID, uh, or maybe he just got a little dinged up, and then they did have another guy that was out as well. So, certainly, uh, certainly they, as Clemson fans, were probably thinking, well, you know, God, what if we had them? But, you know, their defense played really well. Um, I thought uh, offensively for Georgia certainly wasn't pretty. I, I certainly think this Clemson defense is a top five defense in the country. Um, not only right now, but it will be at the end of the year. It could be even better than top five. It could be top three. Um, they're that good specifically on the defensive line. And their linebacker play was really good too. And I was somewhat impressed with some of their um, their, their DBs and how they covered some of those, uh, you know, there were just a few, but some of those uh, passes on those go routes or back shoulders um, as well. Um, you know, 
at the end of the day, you gotta you gotta tip your cap to to J T Daniels. Yes, I know stat line wise it was it was not pretty, but he did what he needed to do. And he, you know it, the difference, the big difference between him and D J was he was even as quick as he was trying to get the ball out of his hands, and that was by design. He was going through multiple reads. D J never took his eyes off the first guy, and if he went to the second guy, it was on very very rare occasions. Um, and then Georgia was able to get some 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 you know running game going. They were able to, to have some success there, uh, albeit somewhat limited. Um, but, you know, it's easy to do that when you do have uh, the performance defensively that that we had. And, and listen, you know, I, I know the national narrative is, golly, that defense was good. But, boy, you know, this just looks kind of like more of the same for Georgia. Nah, you know, listen, we had three true freshmen out there making, uh, 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 you know, an impact. We had A.D. Mitchell, true freshman out there, lining up at receiver number five. Um, you had Brian Brock Bowers at tight end, who was our best receiver. Um, he's a true freshman in Napa, California. Um, and, uh, you know, listen, we, uh, the fact of the matter is, Kyrus Jackson, the starting receiver, only played punt because he's dinged up. I didn't even know that going into the game. He's certainly a, a starting two receiver on our team, starting three. Obviously, Pickens out. I, I won't hit, get into him. Dominic Blaylock coming off a knee injury um, last season. He will be back. He's a top three receiver. Um, you know, obviously, Darnell Washington, our number one tight end, he'll be back. Um, you know, in a couple weeks. So, you know, a lot of missing pieces will come back offensively for this Georgia team. A uh, great team win, certainly uh, a defensive slugfest and not, not for the faith of heart or for, uh, you know, most just national fans. But, you know, when you really like college football, uh, you, you do enjoy these slugfest games. Felt a lot like the Alabama LSU game, the nine to six game um, between these two defenses. And uh, but certainly uh, for Clemson, they will. Uh, I fully expect them to run the table. If you look at their schedule, they should not have any trouble. DJ will still be able to go out there and put up numbers uh, against that competition. And uh, at the end of the day, big win for the dogs. But, um, you know, couple things fall right and Clemson uh, Clemson will be right back in that conversation and have all the chances in the world to make the playoffs and who knows maybe uh, maybe this was a semifinal or national championship game you never know yeah these two teams could certainly play again and I'd be interested in a rematch hope that that would swing our way again um, another game that I was on uh, and I was actually pretty proud of this uh, not only just because uh, you know, it's one of my teams. I went there, but also because I, I kept saying, you know, the Knowles plus the points, the Knowles plus the points. Now, I did say one of the reasonings was because I thought Mackenzie Milton would start. He did not get the nod. Jordan Travis got the nod under center for the Seminoles, uh, and it goes down to overtime, but Notre Dame wins 41 to 38. Uh, It was an absolute thrilling game that we've not seen the likes of in Tallahassee in a while. And how great was it? I'm so glad fans were there. And they certainly played a a pivotal part in it. But Dope Campbell was rocking. You know, I was having flashbacks to, you know, my days there as a student. I didn't go there very long. But, you know, you're you're watching the war chant the entire time. And I I always forget they do that the entire freaking game. And, uh, you know, like I said, the full crowds and you, you made the point too it certainly helped them uh with this one like I said earlier Jordan Travis gets the nod under center and he was not the greatest I mean he would have some stretches of like okay things are looking okay um but it kind of certainly felt like Mackenzie Milton has to still be hurt or dealing with the mental anguish of not wanting to hurt himself again to not go in there because Jordan Travis was struggling a little bit uh 
what ultimately did it was that Jordan Travis got his helmet knocked off in the middle of a series, and it was a non-penalty, so he had to sit out a play. Uh, that rule, obviously, uh, being in effect now for a few years. Uh, so Mackenzie Milton goes in, and I think you know they're going to give him one play and then get Jordan back out, but they let Mackenzie air the ball out. He goes four for four, and it ends in a uh, touchdown that drive does that McKenzie ran and you just kind of felt like this could potentially be it we might be here in the McKenzie Milton era in Tallahassee Mike Norvell called both of his quarterbacks over and you could tell was having that conversation of we're going to go with the hot hand here sorry Jordan uh maybe I don't know what that's going to look like next next game but well they, they have a potential uh battle there if they didn't already um he looked, McKenzie, I mean, you, you just had to hold your breath every single time he had the ball, uh, but he stood in there rock steady. They kept cutting to his parents. It was a, quite the scene. Of course, if you're not familiar, he had that horrific leg injury that ended his career at UCF. He landed here at FSU in the offseason. Really, really, really cool story. He leads FSU to tie the game up uh, and in overtime. Unfortunately, Mike Norvell ices his own kicker, and uh, they do not uh, score a field goal in overtime. And then Notre Dame, all they have to do is kick it through the uprights, and they do. Uh, they win this one 41-38. to uh, For what it's worth, I didn't think Jack Cohn was super impressive. He had some stretches as well, but he looked yeah, at best. Um, and you know, Notre Dame returned a fair amount of people. So, uh, you know, we'll see what they look like here the rest of the season. But I don't believe in moral victories, Pierce, but if it's as close to one as you're going to get with FSU there, uh, the, the, you just kind of, even though it was a loss, you felt like, okay, the Knowles are finally building something with Mike Norvell, and I'm excited to see them back uh, in prominence. But uh, Notre Dame gets this one done 41-38. to So i got to tell you, uh, you know how I like to, to have long-winded uh, recaps, and I tend to go way longer than, than you'd like me to. I could talk for an hour on this game alone. There were so many great points uh, or great great moments. Great. Uh, let me go ahead and start with there wasn't anything – well, well, let me take that back. I was going to say there are no traditions like a jump around or whatever to FSU, but, boy, you got the spirit, you know, the – uh, you correct me. What's the name of it? Uh, you know, Chief at, at Osceola and Renegade. Yes. And Renegade, when they throw that flame and spear, that was awesome. But, man, how awesome was it to – literally it was 50%, maybe more of the game, the the war chance. Uh, I mean it, – Oh, it's FSU the entire the time. First, for the first time – yeah, you know, it's funny. I made a comment that it kind of – it's like Rocky Top when Tennessee's good, you know? Oh, it's more than Rocky Top. <laughs> but, Pierce, um, I'm not kidding. My first game I left as a student and my arm was sore. I had to switch arms because you're supposed to do it with your right arm. I had to switch to my left because I was like, my bicep is not – is not conditioned well, to do it this. Was, it was all those fans left certainly sore uh, last night because it was going early and often. Um, and and let me tell you, you know the crowd was back. It, it, I think that was the best FSU crowd that I've seen in probably six or seven years, to be quite honest with you. Well, at least since Jimbo, uh, you know, was there. Um, and it just felt great. I think this was the game of the week, uh, just from a viewership standpoint and excitement and the twists and the turns and the ups and downs. It was awesome. Um, I'll go ahead and break it down like this. Uh, you know, on Notre Dame side, I, I did not think, I, I still don't think they're going to be uh, a top, you know, a, an elite team like they were last year. Um, I just don't see it this year. They lost too much. Um, and I just don't think they quite have the athletes as well now they do have some studs and they do reload better than you know every every team but six maybe or five but 
Um, a couple takeaways from them. Jack Cohn, I, I will disagree with you. I thought Jack Cohn looked great. Because hear me out on this. The reason he looked great was not only did he throw for 368 yards and completed 26 to 35 for four touchdowns and only one pick, but how many how, how many crummy performances or just maybe just lackluster performances we see at Wisconsin? He leaves and comes to South Bend, and automatically he's uh, airing it out and efficient and throwing for th- th- over 300. Yeah. Yards? Well, I mean, if I could so, take so a second interesting and explain there. myself there. Let me explain myself really quick. It's the same reason why I said it with you know a couple of other quarterbacks here so far. It was just inconsistent. He had to have that moment, and you know maybe it was just a matter of settling in. To your point, he put up great stats, but it just was one of those things where he had to have a moment on the sidelines with his coach to kind of settle into the game. Um, and maybe that was just a prisoner of circumstances. He was just hyped up and stuff like that. But uh, you know, it's just one of those consistency things. Um, yeah. But stat-wise, you're right. He put up a great game. Well, and true, and true. I'll say this too. You know, it wasn't pretty, especially on the back end for no, or for FSU defensively. Um, the one bright spot I thought was, um, you know, the defensive line uh, really was able to attack Jack Cohn. And uh, yes, he was able to do good things when he had time. But you know, Jermaine Johnson, the Georgia transfer, I thought was fantastic. And I'll tell you this: I don't know what happened, but um, after the first half, he didn't play much of the third quarter, and then came back in the fourth quarter, and and you know was around every play again. So I'm not sure what was going on there. Um, I, I'll, I'll say this. I thought Mike Norvell lost this game. Um, and it, it doesn't necessarily come down to that, that kick. Yes, that sucks because he made the 50-yard field goal. That would have sent it to a second overtime. Um, and he iced them. But you have to you have to take that chance. Um, it just ha- it was unfortunate that the kick got off before that the, the, the review and the challenge came down because it, it's just – it makes perfect sense. Um, you got to get that extra yardage, especially with a kicker who you don't know if he can hit the 50 yarder but a couple big things i liked off fsu their defense was a little bit better than normal their d-line looked like they were going to be able to you know make some make some work and and do some work here in the acc Um, but i really love joshua corbin um the running back i thought he had a great game obviously he busted that big long one but I mean, you gotta have you gotta have the complimentary backs, and you know, since Cam Akers left a couple years ago, they really haven't found that guy. So um, you know, hopefully Corbin is that guy. And then yeah, you know, with Milton, it was weird. I think that uh, I think it was more Norvell saying I don't want to risk because he knew they were going defense was still going to be really good for Notre Dame. They were going to be able to get after the quarterback and offensive line has been a real area of concern for FSU over the years. Um, so and, and and Jordan Travis showed he is a very dynamic player with his feet. Um, but obviously, he had that one big pass, but you could tell he was just not very comfortable. Every time he caught the ball, he was not looking through his reads. He just wanted to get out of the pocket so he didn't get killed. Um, but, you know, Milton came in, and golly, uh, it was a roller coaster. It felt like a couple of years ago when we watched Alex Smith come back from his horrific leg injury um, where his wife couldn't even watch the game. Uh, but you also sense, like, oh, my God, this is going to be the plot line to a movie here soon. I mean, it really right. did have that feeling. Uh, um, and it was cool to see, and golly, you could tell that he it was a different feel, not only from the excitement and, oh, my gosh, he's out there with that leg, but he got the ball out of hands quickly. He was accurate. He knew where to go with it. He, you know, looked off a couple guys. Um, you know, unfortunately, it just wasn't meant to be. But, again, I got to go back and harp on it. Um, well, I got to shout out Kyle Hamilton. I was kind of uh, down on him, but um, saying he just looks slow and this, that, and the other. But, man, when you're that big and, and, and have the strides like that, he had a great game um, on the defensive side for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. But last thing I'll say about this game, again, Mike Norvell, I just don't understand 
understand the game plan he came out there with and, and some of the decisions he made going forward on fourth and whatever that was from his own 30 yard line in the second quarter or whatever or third quarter I mean what what are you doing there you can't you can't do that that was a dumb call and then he had back-to-back wildcat formation plays which I mean I just thought was so ridiculous and Notre Dame could could crowd the box and knew what they what they were doing so um you know ultimately it was a shame I was ready to have the, the happy ending uh, that we all wanted, but uh, got to give credit to Notre Dame. That was not an easy environment to play in. Yeah, and I agree with you. I think they were bad decisions in retrospect, but they're the kinds of moves that if they worked, we go, he's a genius. Um, you know, to your point, I think you roll with Travis because, you know, you go, he, they're still going to have a good defense, and, you know, you don't want to necessarily go out there and bang Milton up yet. And, you know, not that you were playing to, to potentially lose, but you were kind of going, well, hey, I'm going to, you know, kind of roll with roll with Travis here. He, he's He's – you know, more of my proven guy. Um, and the same it, it, on the opposite end of that, you're playing going, Hey, we might as well try these things because we, we're going to need a little bit of magic to, to win this game. So, uh, yeah, I agree with you, but in retrospect, those are the kinds of things that people get applauded for if they work out. So, uh, all good things though, for the Knowles last but not least the Ole Miss rebels, 43, the Louisville Cardinals, 24, no Lane Kiffin, no problem, despite having COVID-19. Uh, their head ball coach having COVID-19, I should say. Ole Miss didn't miss a beat, and they absolutely dominated this one. Matt Corral, another one of the only quarterbacks to live up to the Heisman uh, hype. He played really well in week one. The score was 26 to nothing at half pierce, and it never really felt like Louisville had a fight Um one one interesting part of this, it was kind of being dubbed the target bowl. I mean, how many targeting calls did we see, particularly from the Louisville defense? I get that it's for player safety, but the ejection thing, I'm not sure I'm a fan of, particularly if the player is already going down. Um, you know, it's just some of that's just going to happen. Regardless, uh, you, you saw a lot of targetings there. kind of got ridiculous, um, but, you know, that's a that's – we can sit here and armchair quarterback that all day long. Um, I got to think, though, that Scott Satterfield's on one of the hottest seats in America. I mean, he all but said he didn't want to be there anymore last year. And then this kind of a showing, you just got to think that Louisville is going to be done with him sooner rather than later if he doesn't even leave on his own accord. You know, maybe he goes and takes hell. At this point, he might want to go coach UConn. I mean, he, he looks checked out. His players look checked out. And it was not a good situation. About the only pretty thing, uh, other than obviously, Ole Miss's performance about the only pretty thing in the game that we saw between Ole Miss and Louisville was the colors uh, Louisville in their all reds and Ole Miss in their powder blues I actually tweeted out that Ole Miss needs to wear those jerseys more often because they look sharp Uh, regardless last game of the week one slate and it was a little bit of boring one but Ole Miss dominates and I think they potentially are going to be a force in the SEC West what say you about this one uh, you know, agree with a lot of your points. Um, you're right. Satterfield looked, uh, it just, you know, looks like, again, kind of like LSU, the players after his comments and stuff, just, uh, seems like they just don't really care to play for him also. Um, you know, I, I, I felt bad for Malik Cunningham. He, he was the only player out there that, you know, seemed to want to do anything running around there. You know, he was getting pressured every single play, um, but he was—he just kept—he just kept pushing. Um, so got to give him props. But you're right, Corral just played played some gr- a great game, very efficient. Um, you know, looked very dynamic too. He even had some, you know, good runs. He's—he's very—he's very quick and fast as well. That's something. That- 
underrated with him. But the big thing for me was, um, you know, you saw it last year. Louisville's defense just uh, you know, was pretty, pretty poor. And, again, knew they were going to be pretty poor in this one. Um, so you knew Ole Miss was going to put up points. But, boy, uh, Ole Miss's defense looked a lot better than, than I was expecting. Um, yes, they're never going to have – or they don't have the size on the defensive line that, you know, some of the big big bad boys, the top five defenses have. But, man, that Campbell kid, number 44, I think it's Chaz or Chad. Um, I believe he's a Maryland transfer. Um, follow DJ Durkin over, who's the defensive coordinator and was the interim for Lane Kiffin. Uh, you know, he, he was flying around. He was in almost every single play. They were playing fast and physical. They were hitting hard. They were hitting to the whistle. Um, so you got to give Ole Miss props. They were ready to play this game. Um, to be quite honest with you, you know, a lot of storylines and takeaways without Kiffin being there, you know, Satterfield looking horrible, Dirk and animate on the sidelines, Campbell, Corral, you name it. The crowd looked like it was a middle school game, maybe a small high school game um, from a crowd standpoint. And, and that was sad to see. Um, but it was, you're right. It was a very pleasing aesthetically just uh, the, from a viewership standpoint. So, um, but you got to give you got to tip, tip your cap to to Ole Miss. It'll be interesting to see how they do defensively moving forward when they play some of the bigger bad boys. But um, at the same or the bigger bullies. But at the same time, offensively they're going to be able to put up points uh, with the best of them. So got um, got to like what Ole Miss did in, in week one without their uh, their signal caller um, and and their head coach. Absolutely. Well, that's going to do it for our week one recap. Um, we are going to be back tomorrow uh, with a, another episode. We are going to talk week two. Look ahead there at the slate, and we're going to give you our easy-peasy picks of the week. If you're not following us on social, do so. We are at Bragging Pod. That's bragging without the G on both Instagram and Twitter. Uh, other than that, make sure you're following this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Like I said, we'll be back before you know it with week two. But until next time, I'm Addison. And I'm Pierce. Stay blessed, y'all.